that talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. I'm Nathan Barrett, again, from Cleveland.com, along with Stephen Means. Still no Doug Lamarice, but back later this week, I think. So Stephen and I are going to delve into some more recruiting talk. We had a uh, recruiting pod that came out on Tuesday that really delved into sort of Stephen's um, re-up on predicting the class and some other topics. And today we're going to delve out beyond Ohio State a little bit into the rest of the Big Ten because I think it's good to check in with that every once in a while to sort of reconfirm some of the things that we already think about Ohio State recruiting and also to uh, put into perspective what else is happening in the rest of the Big Ten as it tries to chase Ohio State, because ultimately that is what a lot of these teams are doing. Stephen, as you're covering recruiting for us sort of on a year-round basis, how much – obviously the main focus at all times is, you know, who is Ohio State looking for? Who are they going to get? Who are they really in a battle for? Which teams are they battling for? I guess maybe that's the, the best way to, to sort of frame this question. How often do Ohio State battles involve other Big Ten teams? And as you're as you're following these um, commitments and these decisions that are happening, um, like what percentage of the time is there a big threat from another Big Ten program? Yeah, not that much. I would say less than 25% just because of the, the caliber of player Ohio State's going after versus what Michigan, Penn State can usually go after. It happens every so once in a while, but then there's like context as of why it happened. Like prime example of that is Drew Aller. It's Ohio State tried to get back into that race after he was a Penn State commit and they couldn't get back into it, but that's because they went chasing Quinn Ewers to begin with. So it's like, it's, it's almost like when Ohio State needs to go to its backup plan more often than not, which is what's made this 2023 cycle so interesting because there are some guys that are maybe like stationed in the Midwest, live in the Midwest, where Ohio State could have turned it into a battle with a Michigan or a Penn State or a Michigan State or other Big Ten programs. But Ohio State's not necessarily looking in that direction anymore, and those other Big Ten programs aren't even like in the race anymore, or at least, you know, trailing behind some other teams from around the country. So it's Ohio State's focus is Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, and now Texas and USC as they start to get the ball rolling here while the rest of the Big Ten is just kind of focusing on each other. Or, or against the, the, you know, the, the program that is in whatever region that player yes. is from. So sometimes yeah. it could be a North Carolina NC state. If it's someone from over there, sometimes it could be Pacific Northwest. If it's JT to Malowa, someone like that. Although obviously Alabama was involved there too. So you're saying that when it's a more regional Midwestern thing, that's where it often becomes an Ohio state versus another big 10 rival. But just to clarify what you're saying for this 2023 cycle, you're seeing more and more that even players at Ohio state is not fighting for, or, or uh, you know, in, in, in a finalist for maybe because they're they've moved on. There are some Big Ten programs that are having trouble landing those players against other national programs. Yeah, let's let's get into it. Actually, let's just use him as an example to start this conversation. And that's Dante Moore, the quarterback, the number twelve player, number four quarterback, the five star recruit. He lives in Detroit, Michigan, but he's got some Cleveland ties. So, first and foremost, he almost would have been the perfect type of quarterback for Ohio State to get in this cycle had he not blown up into a five-star, but he did. So here's where we are now. And 
this wasn't, I mean, Michigan should be landing this kid, right? He's right there in your backyard. He's a five-star recruit at a school where, you know, Jim Harbaugh is supposed to be the quarterback whisperer. I'm putting in that in quotations because we haven't necessarily seen it yet from Jim Harbaugh, at least not at Michigan. And at this point, you know, Michigan's got some interest, but LSU and Oregon are clearly leading this battle. They're the only two schools who have gotten official visits. There are some crystal balls in for Oregon for Dante Moore over the last couple of days here. And yeah, this is, this is, it's, this is something to get into later down the line. I do think there is the, the, the level of talent at quarterback in the Midwest is starting to rise right now, both in who team, who programs are getting, but then also guys who just live in this area. And this is an opportunity for some big 10 programs to capitalize off that Michigan being at the spearhead of that. And by losing out on a guy like Dante Moore, that shows you're not doing that. Just to clarify also the, the interest that Ohio state did or did not have in Dante Moore, because it was someone that was on their radar at some point too. Is it just the dynamics of this class? Is it because what is he? He's like six to one Is it a body type thing where they are looking in a different direction? Like what, because it, because let's give Michigan some benefit of the doubt. Maybe they, for similar reasons, decided they wanted to pass on Dante Moore yeah, or, I wouldn't or, say, or, or whatever. I'm not that they're yeah, passing on him, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I wouldn't say that he's been here a couple of times already. Dante Moore has, I just think, as we've talked about in the past with this going after a highly rated quarterback in every cycle, eventually you were going to reach a cycle where everybody said no. And of the, they've offered before they offered Austin over sad and Brock Lennon are clearly going in a different direction. They offered seven guys in the top 100. He's among that list. And those guys are just all saying no in this cycle. He's just part of that list more than it is like, you know, if, if Dante Moore wanted to come, I, mean, I think Ohio State would more than let be more than happy to take a five-star quarterback in, a, in this class, but that's just not how things are working out right now. So we're going to talk more specifically about Michigan at the back end of this podcast because I don't really care what the rankings are right now. I saw I said that on the Tuesday podcast, you know, Ohio State being number one in the country. It's just very hard when you're not comparing two equal things. When some people are just way ahead on putting their class together it doesn't really tell me a lot about where those classes are going to end up. So where teams are in terms of the rankings, and we're going to talk about, I'll, I'll read off the 24 seven composite uh, big 10 rankings here in a second. And I think it'll highlight why it's a little bit um, dangerous to put too much weight in those rankings yet. But I think there's some interesting things going on with Michigan right now um, that are maybe counter to what we expected coming out of Thanksgiving weekend last year and maybe too early to to say but certainly some some troubling trends from at least uh, from what I'm seeing from Michigan fans on social media and stuff I know there's some concern out there but anyway back to this greater Big Ten question um, right now Ohio State obviously the 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 top in the Big Ten as far as the those 24-7 sports rankings they only have 14 commits which is um an, an average number right now there's there's a few teams that have more and but it's it's the average star rating where they always come or, or is way ahead they, they have you know their average star rating right now of 94.12 is three and a half points ahead of what penn state is doing and is i don't know seven or eight points ahead of or i guess only five points ahead of what michigan state is doing um michigan state a little bit farther down the list but anyway ohio state ranked number one uh penn state number two and those are the only two programs right now that have any five-star commitments. Do you expect that, Stephen, to change by the time we get to signing day? Like, do you expect other Big Ten programs to land five stars in this cycle? Probably not. 
No, I think any other five, and that's usually the case. Ohio, if, if there's like six five stars in the Big Ten, Ohio State probably has four of them, and then there's two that go to other schools for the most part. If any other five stars join this class, are probably headed to Ohio State. Maybe Penn State gets another, but I'm not expecting anybody else to get into that. You did project Ohio State to end up with five five I stars, did. and like you said, that's very often the case that Ohio State ends up with more five stars than the rest of the. Big 10 combined. So nothing necessarily changing right there. So it's so Penn State number two, um, comfortably, you know, 15 commits, one five star, four, nine, four, I'm sorry, one five star, nine, four stars, and a handful of three stars. But it's, I mean, Ohio State has one three star at this point. And then you start, to, even once you get past, other than Penn State and and uh, Michigan State, it's it's comprising like the bulk of the class for pretty much the rest of the Big Ten right now, which, again, I think that's an important thing to remember, because number three on this list right now is Northwestern, and they have 20 commits already, which is the most in the Big Ten, and 18 of them are three stars, and so that's why I, I why I've brought up a few times that pump the brakes on like putting too much stock in where teams are ranked right now, simply because that is an accumulation of players, but it's still an accumulation of the kind of players that um, Northwestern always gets only one four star for them at this point. And I think it's someone that's ranked outside the top 300. I agree. <laughs> Sorry, two, four, star, two, four stars for, for Northwestern, but both ranked outside the top 300. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just read the rest of this list in order just to give people um, an order of, you know, sense of where people stand minnesota at number four uh iowa at number five purdue at number six michigan state at number seven those are all sort of clustered together michigan state again is the one that's a little bit misleading their class is better than being seventh in the big 10 right now i would say they have you know seven four stars um the four teams that are ranked ahead of them have a total of six four stars so again that tells you um who's actually making a bigger impact with this class. I would expect Michigan State to to surge up this list a little bit. Stephen, from just conversations you're having, the things that you're monitoring this year, uh, because we expected, I think, Michigan to maybe get to capitalize a little bit on you know beating Ohio State, make it to the playoff. Again, we're going to talk more about that later. Michigan State in a similar boat, though. I mean, they had a breakthrough season last year, getting into a top, a top 10. They're going into you know a couple weeks left in the season. They're in contention to win the Big Ten. And, you know, Mel Tucker, what he's getting started there, has it felt or have you heard that, that Michigan State is starting to build some momentum or are you at least seeing it just in the kind of players that they're contending for um, and um, any ways that they're pushing up against Ohio State? Yeah, no, they're not there yet. I don't know if they're ever going to get to the pushing up against Ohio State, but I do. I, not, not, if, not, but when I say pushing up against Ohio State, I'm obviously talking about more on a player by player basis, not, not yeah. that they're going to push up to be a top three national program uh, yeah no ranking. they're not there yet i am into intrigued though by how mel tucker goes about doing things and since that can mel tucker get michigan state to a point where right now they have the 22nd best class in the country if they're consistently having a top 20 recruiting class is that the expectation we should have for mel tucker going forward or does he just do what he did last offseason where it's just like i'm just gonna go raid the transfer portal and still put together a quality program so it's uh, because his first season was so jacked up by COVID. This is really his first normal offseason to really do stuff and that's try to see how he wants to go about building his program. So that is a, a, a program I am interested to just keep tabs on, see one, what areas of the country are they hitting to try to find recruits, but then also how does he go about building his team on a year-to-year -year basis? 
So that was sort of a cluster of four teams. Uh, number eight, Wisconsin. Um, no five or four stars yet. So 12 commitments and 11 of them are three stars. That is a very Wisconsin class. We're going to talk a little bit, a lot more about that actually in the second segment, because there's an interesting article I read that uh, gave us some perspective on recruiting um, results versus recruiting expectations. And Wisconsin factors into that pretty heavily. Uh, Rutgers next at nine, Nebraska at 10, Illinois at 11. Uh, those all sort of clustered together within a few points. And then Maryland 12th, just behind that, Michigan 13th. But again, only six commitments and Indiana 14th, only four commitments. And that has, again, when I'm ranking these teams, I'm going by the 24-7 sports com- total recruiting points that they give a program. And if you are only have six commitments, you only have four commitments, that's why you're going to rank that low. As we were talking yesterday uh, on, on Tuesday's pod, you know, Alabama not that high right now in the national rankings because they only have seven commitments. So make sure you're looking at that context. Uh, but for Michigan, also only an average star rating 87.28. That obviously lags behind. Um, that's really more in Northwestern territory than it is Ohio State, Penn State territory at this point. Is there anything about, as I read down those those 14 programs, um, anything that jumps out to you as being uh, notable beyond the Michigan thing, again, just because of their how few they have so far not really i think maybe maryland you could make a case that maybe they should be higher just because mike loxley's probably a better recruiter than what you know nebraska brings to the table with maybe not what rutgers brings to the table now they got greg chiano in there but you would expect them to be a little bit higher than that i think the illinois thing is headed in the right direction you know i think they're going to start creeping up and be maybe close to the top eight now with what they have but outside of that everything Obviously, the, the thing that will probably change, will at least should change between now and signing day is the fact that Northwestern is third and Michigan is 13th. That's the only outlier there. But that's because, as you already pointed out, Northwestern's already got 20 people in its recruiting class, while Michigan is a combination of one. They only have six guys. They've lost three guys already from what was a nine man class. But then also, as we'll get into later, some other things that just aren't happening right now for them. Right. I agree that I think that Illinois is kind of significant. I know they're only 11th on this list, but they're closer to being right at like Wisconsin's level, which makes sense considering kind of, I guess, you know, where Brett Bielema's background is like if they can play in that same level Wisconsin has in terms of recruiting results, but they have a coach who knows how to then transform that into results. I think that's important because often I think they live in that same they live in a, in a lower tier and don't know what to do with it and, yeah. and can't turn it into something. It's a combination of things. Um, there is a point where your, your recruiting results are so low that you can't really do that much with it, that, you know, you're looking at a, you know, six wins at best kind of scenario. There are a lot of teams in the big 10 that are, are like that, but I think Illinois is the one where is just more openly mobile just because of what Bielema has done in the past. And um, I think if I was an Illinois fan, I'd be sort of optimistic by these returns. Obviously, again, you're talking about just a different world than what Ohio State plays in. And it may be a world that never becomes relevant to what Ohio State is trying to do. So I mean, we don't want to talk about that, I guess, too much. But I, I, th- I think they're headed in the right direction. I, I'm also am curious about Maryland because, I, again, I, we've talked before about how important it is if you want to beat Ohio State, you're not going to beat them across the board. You're not going to accumulate talent across the board the way they do. But you got to find those one, two, usually skill position NFL players. Uh, there's you know a few positions on the field where you can get a guy that'll make enough of a difference that you have a chance to pull that upset. And they've got a couple guys on their roster right now, but 
they've got to keep finding him. I think you can't, you've got to, those guys are going to cycle through after, you know, sometimes only three years, you've got to find a way to find another one of those guys. Is there any right now, any battles Ohio state is in that another big 10 team is going to factor into as you get between now and signing day? No, just because Ohio state's national right now, I think, uh, Arvell Reese is, is maybe the closest thing to that just because of where he's ranked. And he's also from this region from Glenville, but not at this, not at this point. I don't, I don't think so. I, I think Ohio state's kind of locked up the guys they want in state for the most part outside of him and Jermaine Matthews, who's probably going to come off the board on Friday. And then outside of that, it's a lot of national guys that I just don't see a lot of big 10 teams, you know, being in the running for not in a serious way, at least. And I know this is not news by any means, but I think it's important once in a while to just remember that, that, you know, Ohio State lands these in-state guys that are sometimes depth guys or sometimes like long-term projects, guys that they hope might be diamonds in a rough that can climb up a little bit that are ranked in the three, four, fives or whatever. And you can look around the rest of the Big Ten and those are like the big gets that some of these other programs are having to fight for a little bit. So it just reinforces again why the gap exists between Ohio State and the rest of the Big Ten. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in this next segment after we take this break, because there was a, a piece that came out this week on the uh, the CFB numbers substack, which is a really interesting place, a resource for um, information about all sorts of things in college football. Uh, I would encourage everyone to go take a look at that. And we're going to talk about one specific piece about that that relates to recruiting expectations and who is exceeding them and who is not in the Big Ten. You're listening to Buckeye Talk. All right. So again, that website is cfbnumbers.substack.com. I think if you just do a search for CFB numbers substack, just a lot of interesting articles in there that um, I think is a good resource for, for people like us because we can use it as a jumping off point to sort of circle back and write about Ohio State things specifically that are maybe inspired by some of these topics. But also I think just for the average fan to they do a good job, things like this, where they'll take some data and and help you visualize it. and Again, this is one that I thought was a combination of news and a combination of just reinforcing things you already know. But the title of the article is Securing the Bag, Examining College Football Recruiting Expectations. And their methodology here, um, I should I should mention the, actually it doesn't have a, a an author's name here, it just says CFB numbers. So um, I guess it was a staff effort. But what they basically did was they went back from 2014 to now and did, you know, what what was the average, I guess, uh, recruit ranking rating for all of those years? Like, where does a team historically sit in terms of the kind of player that it lands? And then they plotted out the past three years and said, like, following the most recent trend, are teams ahead or behind their expectations? And Ohio State... I thought one of the interesting things here was obviously in terms of the average recruit rating, they are far and away better than everybody else in the big 10, even Michigan and Penn state, which make up the next tier, Ohio state well ahead of that. But in both 2021 and 2022, they exceeded even that they are, they are the outlier of even themselves. They've been ahead of even their own expectations. And I thought that was a little bit enlightening because we've talked about so many great classes that have come through um, in that time frame, going back, you know, the 2017 class and, and some other big ones. And 
to see that, Stephen, or to hear that, the, the 2021-2022 classes are so much ahead. Because um, we, I know there were people who pushed back a little bit on the Tuesday pod and thought we were being too negative. And I, I, I understand, I guess, what they were coming from. Because I, like I said at the time, I was trying to kind of pressure test our, our analysis of that a little bit. And I hope people understand why when we get to December, we'll see how it shakes out. But does it make sense to you that Ohio that this data would show that Ohio State is has jumped even to another tier of where it usually is expected to recruit, even just for the past, even just from the urban era on? Yes and no. I, I get why. Um, I think our argument was just more about like this. Let's just use the 2017 class as an example. And I think I did this before. That class is very good. And the top one, two, three, four players in it are defensive players, right? Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, Baron Brown, and Sean Wade. And then you get Wyatt Davis and Trayvon Grimes, J.K. Dobbins. But it's like that, and you go that, and then three years later, Ohio State has the best defense of the country. That makes sense. And now it's kind of flipped on its head a little bit where it's like, oh, look at all these awesome offensive players Ohio State keeps getting. And then three years after the class is here, you're like, oh, that's the best offense in the country. And so I understand it, and maybe some of the – reason why it's maybe rated higher is there's typically more top 100 wide receivers than there are maybe at other positions just because of, you know, there's a lot of really good wide receivers and a lot of good, really good quarterbacks as well. So there's often more top 100 players at those two positions more than anybody else, which is why those two positions can prop up an Ohio state recruiting class, but it's still kind of the same concept of back then Ohio state in 2017, Ohio state built the second best recruiting class in the country based on, you know, a lot of elite defensive players, and now they're doing it where I'm not saying there's no elite defensive players in these recruiting classes. What we're saying is there's more elite offensive players and elite defensive players, just like back then it was more elite defensive players and offensive players. And obviously Ohio State has just had some uh, some classes that landed elite defensive players in JT2 yeah. and Malowau and, and Jack Sawyer, and they've had some players who have exceeded the expect. you know, CJ Hicks, I should throw in there too, from, from a different class. And then they've had some players who have maybe exceeded those expectations too, such as Denzel Burke. So I, defensively that could all be coming together for them. Um, but I hope people understand why we were, why we were pushing that, pushing back against just the, the, the easy narrative on, on the recruiting on Tuesday's pod. Now looking in the rest of the big 10, how would you, who would you guess? I already told you Michigan and Penn state ranked second and third. And I think we would have expected that going in. So those are, are annually the top three in terms of recruiting results. Who has been fourth on the list, Stephen, in the Big Ten based on their recruiting results from 2014 to now? The average recruit ranking between from 2014 to now? Ass. Um, I would say <laughs> it's got to be Iowa or Michigan State, right? It does not have to be either of those teams. Okay. It is not either of those teams. Michigan State is fifth. And um, and they are one of the few teams actually that does not is not has not these past three years consistently exceeded their recruiting expectation. But that's because they're in transition. They hit a low yeah. point. Mel Tucker's bringing them out. Nebraska is number four on this list. And that's depressing. <laughs> well, it, it it makes sense, I guess, if you go all the way back to 2014 and incorporate. I think maybe some of their. But the other thing is, like Nebraska has not necessarily been. Um, at the bottom of the big 10 in terms of recruiting, which has what has made in the eyes of their fans, their um, being at the bottom of the big 10 in terms of results, even more frustrating. So put a pin in Nebraska. We're going to come back to that. Um, I said, Michigan state was fifth 
Maryland sixth, Northwestern seventh, Wisconsin eighth, and Iowa ninth. That's just in terms of the average recruit rating that they've had since 2014. And then the bottom five teams are what you would expect, more or less, Indiana, Iowa, uh, I'm sorry, Indiana, Illinois, Rutgers, Purdue, and Minnesota is actually maybe the surprising one to have been 14th on this list. Uh, But all in that same tier kind of together, sort of a cluster of those bottom five teams, sort of a cluster of the middle six teams, cluster of Michigan and Penn State, Ohio State up at the top. So I asked our readers, because the second half of this exercise was which teams are actually exceeding their recruiting rankings. So I asked our readers, our texters, 614-350-3315, which Big Ten program overachieves the most relative to its recruiting? Steven, who do you think won that poll? They received 34% of the vote. You said overachieves? Mm. Overachieves the most relative to its recruiting. Penn State. Penn State only fifth. And I think Mm. it's because they actually, um, you know, they finish second or third typically among Big Ten teams. And they've had, you know, top. 10 classes in nationally and still waiting for the first playoff. So I think that's probably why they don't finish this high. I think teams were, I think our readers are probably thinking more along the lines of um, who is getting like the most out of the recruits that it has. And not surprisingly, Wisconsin won this Wisconsin at 34%. And I think that that uh, Substack article, that CFB numbers article really emphasizes that the fact that Wisconsin only ranks what did I say? Eighth on this list in terms of average recruit since 2014. I know that people think of Wisconsin as recruiting a different style. You're recruiting, you know, heavy on offensive linemen, heavy on defense, heavy on, you know, taking, I guess, maybe more of a a team oriented approach to some of these things, getting maybe a really good running back behind them and, you know, grinding away with that. I know that people think of that, but are you surprised that Wisconsin ranks that low in terms of average recruit over the past decade? No, I'm not. And to be honest with you, I'm going to overthink this a little bit. I think I'm a little shocked that people think they're the, they're overachieving because this is just what they do. I, when I think of overachieving, it's you, you literally, uh, we're better than your expectations for even what you thought you were capable of doing. But Wisconsin, this is what they do. They go, as you said, they go get the big boy offensive lineman. They go find a decent running back who can run behind them and they get some quality defensive guys. And then they put together a team that can go 10 and two and go to the big 10 championship game every single year. That's what they do. This isn't, this is for me, what Wisconsin does relative to their recruiting is like my expectation of them versus like, I don't know, Rutgers getting Gavin Wimsot as a borderline top 100 quarterback. You know, that's that I think that's overachieving to, to me or Iowa, as a matter of fact, a team who just is never going to get top 100 recruits unless they grew up literally in Iowa, like guys like Xavier Wampa. That's what I think of when I think of maybe a, a team that's overachieving based off its recruiting, because they Wisconsin probably could go get a top tier, top 100, top 50 running back if they wanted to because of their, their style of play. Iowa can't go get a top 100 recruit from anywhere but Iowa. I think if you were to ask most fans, like, who do you think since 2014, which program has ranked higher in terms of average recruit rating, Wisconsin or Northwestern, they would say Wisconsin still. Mm. And that's not what these results showed. Or Wisconsin against Maryland. And I know Mike Locksley's had some recent 
success there. Um, and they've always been able to like pull a guy here or there out of the DMV. But these results, this this data says they're even farther behind Maryland, even farther behind Michigan State and Nebraska. And I know Michigan State was getting, you know, some of that is, is still the Antonio era, era when they were kind of at their height. But there was also some Michigan State teams that didn't really capitalize on their best recruiting um halls during that time so i'm still a little bit surprised that wisconsin would be so middle of the pack in the big 10 um i i would think that they would maybe be at the top of this you know middle tier instead of being like sort of sunk down at the uh, you know in into the middle and northwestern was who finished second in this poll i mean it, it's kind of predictable here i think 56 34 for wisconsin 22 percent from our textures for northwestern as being the big 10 program that overachieves the most and i don't think that's surprising because this is a poll of ohio state fans and who does ohio state play in the big 10 championship game every year wisconsin or northwestern um and it, it, there's more than one way to build a program i suppose but I, i'm I don't. I thought the results here, the way that that um, the CFB numbers guys wrote this up, it, it was like they were listening to Buckeye talk. Um, this is the paragraph. It's pretty incredible to see how successful Wisconsin has been, considering their lower standings in the recruiting world. Giving the Badgers even higher-rated talent could make them that more potent on the field. And it's I should point out that the next thing that we're going to talk about, uh, as we said with Ohio State, they've been exceeding even their expectations. Wisconsin has been really exceeding its expectations recruiting wise here these past three years. It's the three dots that it has on the line are way to the right of where it has been since 2014. But it goes on to say, of course, they still unfortunately feel like they're stuck in the same quote, one QB away category. And, you know, we, it, one of the recurring conversations on this program is, is the new alarm Wisconsin quarterback. And um, it may come up again when we get to December, if that's who Ohio state happens to be playing in Indianapolis, or it may come up again as the reason Ohio state is not playing in Indianapolis. But you mentioned before that you feel like the QB recruiting in the Midwest is, is coming along. Aller is maybe right. Still the exception though, right. Of, of any big 10 programs that have landed one of those guys. I mean, we, we'll see what happens with Michigan and we'll see what happens with um, with Wisconsin. They both landed guys that are, are fairly highly recruited. But do you see a point? Is there any point where just one quarterback can push one of these programs to the point where it challenges Ohio State? I mean, we're going to see with J.J. McCarthy, you know, 20, a five-star recruit in the 2021 class, the guy who Ohio State didn't choose because they chose Kyle McCord. So it kind of that whole entire conversation starts with him and then obviously Notre Dame's not in the Big Ten but they're in the Midwest and this is kind of a Midwest conversation right now and CJ Carr is the grandson of former Ohio excuse me well former Michigan head coach Lloyd Carr he's the best player in Michigan he's a five-star recruit in the 2024 class and the second quarterback of that group to come off the board and he's not going to play at his you know grandfather's former employer he's headed to North he's headed to Notre Dame so there's another you know school that you can throw into this mix of Midwestern schools who now have five-star quarterbacks, thanks to Ryan Day showing up here and basically raising the level of play that quarterbacks have to be at to compete in, in this region. So I, I do think that. I think Michigan's got their guy long-term in J.J. McCarthy. They're kind of in the race for Jaden Davis now that Ohio State's got their guy. We'll see if there's any real momentum there or not. Uh, Notre Dame's got their guy and CJ Carr for the future. Penn State's got Drew Aller. Let's see if like others programs can start to get to, into the mix here with these five-star quarterbacks. 
Iowa and Michigan State were the only other programs from our texters that received any votes uh, as the most overachieving relative to its recruiting. Iowa 16%, Michigan State 12%. Kind of a smattering of votes for every other team, uh, including Ohio State. Uh, they were at 3%. Uh, Nebraska, the only program to get a zero uh, as far as teams that feel like they're overachieving relative to their recruiting. And uh, I think I agree with that. I think it would be a hard argument to make right now. So which programs are underachieving the most relative to their recruiting? I want to say before we get to that, again, the second data point on that list was, you know, where have they been historically since 2014? And then who's achieving, who's, who's surpassing that? Ohio State being one of the teams that's surpassing that, even though their rate, their results have been so far ahead. Every team on this list, except for one, has had at least two of the last three seasons that have exceeded their historical expectations at recruiting. And by historical, I mean, again, just since 2014. Michigan State, the only team that doesn't have one clear dot on the right side of that. Every other team has at least two and a lot of teams have three, you know, Michigan even has, uh, has had all three classes are better than what they've been from 24, their average from 2014 to now Maryland, Northwestern, Wisconsin, uh, Indiana, Rutgers, Minnesota. Uh, it's interesting to look at that and see what could be ahead for the big 10, because again, none of those classes are pushing anywhere near where, Ohio State is. They're all on the the sub uh, ninety score as we were talking about those those player ratings, those average player ratings. All those teams are are sub ninety, and even Michigan and Penn State sometimes stay on that sub ninety. Whereas Ohio State, uh, the last two classes have pushed closer to being a, a ninety five average score. So a big gap in terms of the average talent. But I, it could be interesting as far as the parity throughout the rest of the Big Ten. And I know that that's not a thing that like concerns Ohio State fans on a game-to-game -game basis necessarily because if they're not a team that's jumping up to potentially knock off Ohio State and if Ohio State is maybe not as vulnerable to some of the things that they have in the in those upsets the last in that is getting more and more distant now the the Iowa Purdue whatever then I, I know that they don't necessarily see that as a threat but I think it could be a fun thing to watch in the Big Ten I think the West especially could use some more parity if it's if it's good parity if it's not everybody trying not seemingly trying not to win the conference and or the yeah. division and it's just almost by default somebody ends up winning it i don't think that's good for the big 10 west but if you can get like two or three teams that are con consistently like pushing in that top 15 ish range nationally or and and making it a fight to who's going to represent the west in indianapolis i think that's going to be better for the west and better for the big 10 overall and probably better for ohio state i think you can make an argument even if it's a dumb one that the big 10 would be better off if ohio state were just in the west because then it's like Ohio State's that much better than a conference than a division where everybody already sucks and then like penn state and michigan state and, and michigan as the as teams two, three, and four, typically in the Big Ten, could just duke it out every single year. I think that would be more fun for everybody if the if the second, the third, and the fourth best programs in the Big Ten, for the most part, outside of Wisconsin, if you throw, maybe Wisconsin, you throw them in there as well, didn't have to fight each other every single year just to get just to run up into the buzzsaw that is Ohio State most of the time. It would be interesting if you just threw out the the um, the directional, the, the geographic nature of the divisions and just did sort of a snake draft based on these recruiting results and put together 
the divisions based on that. I'm going to do that real quick because I think it would be interesting. So you'd have the Ohio State would be the first pick, and then the next two picks would go to the other side. So that would be Michigan and Penn State. Then the next two picks, Nebraska and Michigan State, go with Ohio State. Then the next two, Maryland and Northwestern. And then uh, Wisconsin and Iowa. So you'd almost be getting a, a what would be the same thing as putting Ohio State in the West. Then IU and Illinois. Then Rutgers and Purdue. And then Minnesota. So you'd have a, a division that was Ohio State, Nebraska, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Iowa, Rutgers, and Purdue. You'd have a division that was Michigan, Penn State, Maryland, Northwestern, IU, Illinois, and Minnesota. That is still probably a little bit too heavy on the Ohio State side, mm-hmm. but it's not bad. If you had to go with divisions again and you were just blowing it up, I, I don't know that that would be uh, that far off. I think that you could make an argument that that would be a more interesting balance than what you have now for the people who are worried about the abundance of uh, the glut of talent that's in the East. Um, I think they're going to just eventually just ditch the divisions, uh, but um, need to do what a- the ACC just did. I think that's a genius plan. We can talk about that. We should probably have another pod where we just break down the, the divisional ideas that are happening and the one that will work best for the Big Ten. I don't know. I know we've talked about that in the past, and it may be time to just re-up that because of what's happening now nationally. Because, you know, as you said, you know, the ACC just went to it. The Pac-12 ditched their divisions earlier. Um, it's going to – it's it's the – where where conference expansion was once the trend that was sweeping the nation now mm-hmm. divisional uh, dissolution is the thing that's sweeping the nation i don't know if i don't know if i love the pod idea by pod i mean the team pods not the podcast um i don't know if i if i like that 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 pod concept but i think something along those lines is what they'll probably go to uh the other thing i asked the texters which big 10 program is most underwhelming relative to its recruiting. Steven, who do you think finished first on this list? Yeah. Um, I'm going to pick the same team just because, no, actually I'm not. I actually have a better, I, I think you could pick Penn State, but I'm not going to pick them. I'm going to pick Maryland here just because I think when Max, Mike Loxley got hired, you thought there was a chance that he could kind of rejuvenate some things there in that area and get some guys in here. Um, and he's got like five top 200 recruits in the three cycles he's been at Maryland so far. And, it, that, it just hasn't happened for him the way that maybe you envisioned it, it to happen. It's a bit, and it's because of that, Maryland has just been kind of stuck, kind of just being a middle of the road Big Ten team. And that's because he hasn't been able to lock down that area the way you thought he would when he first got the job. Well, so Loxley, they were three and nine in his first year. Then you have the COVID year, but they actually made a little bit of noise in the COVID year, somewhat. Uh, and then they were seven and six last year. They went to a bowl game and they won it. I think that's – I think they're in the right direction. I, and Maryland finished fourth on the Texters list. They, they certainly mm-hmm. wouldn't have finished any higher than that on mine. Um, I mean, it's – again, it's the same way that because it's Ohio State fans who are answering this survey that they would pick Wisconsin and Northwestern as being the most overachieving because that's who they see come out of the West, and they know that they're not fighting Ohio State for any of those recruits. And Ohio State fans are – going to definitely put Michigan at the top of this list. Uh, 39% of our texters said Michigan is the most underwhelming relative to its recruiting. I think that's a little bit of a hard argument to make. I know historically it is. I, I'm a little surprised that Michigan finishes first on this list considering they just beat Ohio State uh, whenever that was, seven months ago. Um, but there oh, you nice. have it. And then, and then Penn State, uh, 
at 31% finishing second on this. They were the runaway winners of this. Nebraska third at 11%. And then Maryland actually finished just ahead of Ohio State itself um, among the teams that were still getting some. So 5% of our texters, it wasn't a huge sampling because I only sent this out about an hour before we did the pod. But 5% of the people who responded said they think Ohio State is most underwhelming relative to its recruiting. Is that a fair argument to make? Do you understand why someone says that? I understand why someone says that. If Ohio State has won, you know, one national championship since uh, 2002, um, we'll I understand that. why they – what's that? Yeah. Well, since, since, since the since – the Oh, okay. Yeah. One. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they, they got 2014, and then they made the playoffs. And But, you know, to, to miss the playoffs, to get drubbed in a national championship game, to – get to the semifinals and lose a couple times. Like, I think, I think there's a, I understand why some fans have an opinion that maybe some results got left on the table during the urban era. And that um, maybe last year is an example of a, a wasted opportunity. I understand where they're coming from. I wouldn't have voted Ohio state that high, but I understand where they're coming from. I get it. And I think I might agree with it. I think for a team that, constantly has a top five recruiting class has coming off. They had back-to-back number two recruiting classes in the country and they have, they've made the playoff how many times? Three times since Urban Meyer showed up here. One time they went and won the national title. No, four times. I'm sorry. One time they went and won the national title. Yeah. Yeah. The other time they didn't score against Clemson and then they lost the game against Clemson and then they lost in the national title. So yeah, if you're recruiting the way Ohio State does and you only have four playoff appearances and one of them you failed to even score in the game, I can understand why there would be this high in a vote like this because you would ex- – we've had this conversation time and time again. The problem is Ohio State should have what Clemson's had for the past decade. And they don't. Yeah, right. Now, we should also say that all it takes is a breakthrough this year or a breakthrough in 2023, winning that national championship again that completely wipes out a lot of that narrative. And uh, I understand that we should acknowledge that. Um, and Ohio State has definitely put itself in a position to, to be right there in December, January. I think we would all expect that again. So that's why I wouldn't vote them that high, just because I feel like they, it's not as if they are recruiting at that level and then drifting out of the conversation and, and are not even, like they went into the Michigan game this past year, people thinking if they win that game and if they beat, if they win the big 10 championship game and if Alabama had beat Georgia as they did, that you could mm-hmm. make a case for Ohio state being the number one seed in the, the playoff and, and, and be the, the national championship favorite, even if they weren't the number one seed. And instead we saw what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ohio state is doing what it has to do. Ohio state is doing it better than anybody else in the big 10 does it. And again, I thought the the most interesting thing about that data was just reinforcing that as good as you think Ohio state has been as leading the big 10 in recruiting for the past decade, what you're seeing in 2021, what you're seeing in 2022, what you're probably going to end up seeing in 2023. Cause as you said, they they rank number one nationally right now. I'm not, I'm, I, I'm not putting a lot of stake in that, but when you project what it could be in December, if they land the guys that you were talking about or, or similar guys, then they're going to be similarly um, off their own chart as far as what they accomplished with recruiting. 
come back after this last break. We're going to talk specifically, though, about where Michigan has gone. What did our texters, our fans expect Michigan to be able to do in this cycle coming off of the win in the game last December or last November, I should say, and what has actually happened and what it means, if anything. You're listening to Buckeye Talk. So as I said before, the 247 sports rankings have Michigan 13th among Big Ten teams right now, but that's really more an accumulation thing. They only have six commitments. There are teams that have upwards of 20. That's a very hard thing. It's it's an apples and oranges comparison. But Stephen, as you've watched what's happened for Michigan here in the last just couple of weeks, whether it's whether it's a a <laughs> a, a PR thing or a just you know what I mean, like the the perception of where things are headed for them in recruiting or whether it's the actuality what's been going on well they had a top 100 linebacker they no longer have that top 100 linebacker and he's probably going to end up at georgia and his name is raylan wilson he's out of uh, tallahassee florida the number 73 player in the country the number five linebacker in the country and because they've lost him along with two other guys that they lost they lost a tight end um, in April and in, in January, they lost a, a, a defensive lineman named Joel Starling. Neither one of those guys were top 100 recruits. They're both in the 200s. So, okay, fine. But the point of the matter is Michigan made the playoff last year. They beat Ohio State pretty firmly. They just had the number two pick in the NFL draft, another first rounder, and a guy who probably would have been a first rounder had he not hurt himself during the draft process. And yet what they have to show for it right now is one guy ranked inside the 300 in the recruiting class. And we're at the end of June here. And it doesn't feel like they have a lot of momentum for a lot of guys. I mean, I already mentioned the fact that they lost out of CJ Carr in the 2024 class. It doesn't feel like they're going to get Dante more in the 2023 class. It doesn't feel Georgia won the national championship. And even if it's taken some time, it feels like that national championship bump is starting to work off for a class who already are program who already recruits well it doesn't feel like the same even Cincinnati who at one point had a top five recruiting class which shows you how crazy the recruiting rankings are in June six months from signing day everybody seems to be benefiting from a big year but Michigan and it doesn't seem like it's getting any better and some of that might be because of the the reality TV show that took place in January right after there with Jim Harbaugh and flirting with the NFL who didn't really flirt back but it's just And the argument of was what happened in the Ohio State-Michigan game a sign of what's coming or was it more of a blip? It's showing that it's more of a blip right now because of how this recruiting class is shaping out. And You left off one of the other headline of it, and this wasn't a decommitment, but uh, you mentioned it earlier in the pod, the C.J. Carr, um, Mm -hmm. quarterback, grandson of Lloyd Carr, former Michigan coach, committing to Notre Dame, which – caused i think untold anguish across from what i could see from the michigan fans while i was on break um just the little time that i spent on social media i know that 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 sent some tremors i mean imagine you know ohio state fans were somewhat irked when jackson carmen an in-state guy went to clemson or what if his name had been uh, you know jackson um hayes or jackson uh trestle or jackson pace or something like that and he was that highly ranked and was going across the border to a rival. Um, I think that people would have lost their minds a little bit. So just put yourself in that mind space if you're an Ohio State fan as to what you think that that would feel like. And, and that's what Michigan fans are, are going through right now. Um, I think a couple of things could be factors here. You already mentioned one of them, and that's the 
the Harbaugh, the Harbaughness of the whole thing. It, whether that is the NFL flirtation in January, whether that is just um, the more people get to know him, if they don't mesh with his personality, I don't know. Uh, some of it is obviously just going to be the, the typical recruiting stuff. Somebody reconsiders what they like and, and where they want to go. Um, the other thing to remember here, too, is that there was turnover at the top of Michigan's coaching staff. I mean, their their offensive coordinator went to Miami um, and Josh Gaddis, their defensive coordinator left and went back to the NFL where he had only, you know, he'd only been at Michigan for the one year. And I don't know how much either of those guys were necessarily involved in recruiting these specific players, but as, as it isn't easy necessarily to lose those guys and, and come in and, and just hit the ground running and pick up you continuity can be important there. And I think that's a good point to maybe transition back to Ohio state with this conversation, which is just from what you've seen so far from Jim Knowles and Perry Eliano and Tim Walton and Justin Fry. Um, now they had a little bit more time because uh, I think some of their, their, that transition started um, a little bit earlier or was known to be coming and, and Ohio State could maybe, you know, repair some of those relationships, but not much earlier. Um, like, how, how do you feel that those guys have done as far as like bridging that gap? Because there, there is going to be a gap. And as we talked with Tuesday, there was only so much Justin Fry could do on the fly to repair the offensive line recruiting situation for the, the season that's right ahead of him. It's more of a, what can he do for 2024, et cetera. Um, how do you feel like those guys have, have smoothed over the transition? Yeah. Outside of the Justin Fry thing that we've discussed at length already, everybody else is just doing their jobs. I mean, cause Ohio state's still Ohio state at the end of the day, regardless of who the assistant coaches are, as Doug likes to call them, the middle managers. And I think part of it is Perry Eliano and Tim Walton are coaching positions where Ohio state does still have a reputation uh, of developing first rounders at it, even if all that reputation rests on the shoulders for the most part on Kerry Combs, it's, you know, it's Ohio state still uh, Larry Johnson is still here. And Jim Knowles is, has, has his own reputation right now of being probably the best defensive quarter, if not you know one of the best defensive coordinators in college football, just based off what he did at Oklahoma state. And so everybody else is just doing their job and the transition has gone fine. There's no reason to believe that there won't be some quality guys at those positions coming into this class right now, I think Justin Fry is the only one who was really dealing with a, the offensive line recruiting went, I don't want to be hyperbolic about this, but it wasn't up to par so much and for so many cycles that it is going to take some time to, you know, to fix that a little bit while with other places, it's like Perry Eliano, you just coached the Thorpe award winner and the number four pick in the NFL draft, Tim Walton, you've been in the NFL for a decade. Jim Knowles is a defensive guru, apparently go get some guys who can play for you. Michigan's class, like I said, 13th in the big 10, but again, the only the six commitments, I think I care more about like, you know, what is the, the make, like I was saying with Michigan state, how they're ranked farther down right now, but they have seven, four stars. That's better than the, the, the teams ahead of them. Michigan only one four star right now. It's a running back. Who's ranked in the two hundreds, no defensive players in the top 500. You know, some teams, finish their classes later than others. It's the, you know, it, it's just how it goes. So I wouldn't put too much stock in this yet. I would also say that my expectation would be that if Michigan was going to really build off of that run last year, you might see it more in 2024 
than 2023 just because you've already laid a lot of 2023 groundwork. You were recruiting for 2023 up until January based on your identity going into the season, kind of. And it's only, you know what I'm saying? And like, I think you get to maybe have a different, you start a different relationship or, or, or build a foundation for 2024 based off of what you just did this past season. So maybe we'll see Michigan capitalize more on that for 2024. I don't know. I asked our texters though, after the game, how concerned are you that Michigan's win in the game will help it close the recruiting gap with Ohio state? Now it's important that I ask this question today on June 29th and didn't ask it on the, you know, Thanksgiving afternoon or whatever, because I think that's going to change these results a little bit. But here were the three options I gave. Very, even if Michigan's classes do not surpass OSU's, the win will help Harbaugh and his staff reduce the talent disparity between the programs. So I'm just saying nobody thinks Michigan's going to come up and be top five class year after year after year after year and is going to maybe finish ahead of Ohio State regularly, but just close the gap. Just make it so that it's not such a disparity. Uh, the second option was a little. It might mean an extra big recruit or two in the short term, but not enough to negate OSU's advantage in the rivalry. And then third option was not at all. This was a one-time blip, and Michigan should never again have a class ranked ahead of Ohio State. Not that they had one ranked ahead of Ohio State, but that they're going to basically stay where they are. They're going to be a distant trailing team behind Ohio State leading the Big Ten. So, Stephen, which one do you think won our text or vote? The middle one. That would be a little, and it's always, I think, fair to vote for the yeah. middle one. And then as, as we do this with Doug every time, I felt like I was doing a little Doug impression there just at a much lower volume. He always says, well, of course, the middle one won, but then which one of the two polls got more? Well, in this case, actually, the middle one did not win. This is, as I said a couple times on this podcast, <laughs> an Ohio State fan poll, and their winner by fifty with 53% was not at all. This was a one-time blip and Michigan should never again have a class ranked ahead of Ohio state and a little bit finished second. The, the people who said very concerned 4%. So hardly anybody thought that they were very concerned that, Ohio, that Michigan was going to turn this one win and be able to build momentum off of it. I think obviously if Michigan wins again, if Michigan were to put yeah. a couple of these in a row or, or you know, start, start just trading year, straighting off every other year. I think that's when the real momentum would start to build. I think I agree. I would vote very third simply because I think it takes more than one win to do this. And if you need, there's, there's no, I mean, we have examples around the big 10, Iowa beat uh, Ohio state and did not catapult itself up the rankings. Purdue beat Ohio state and did not catapult itself up the rankings. Um, I think those teams would programs would probably say they benefited but not in such a major way that it it starts to close the gap that Ohio State, that the, the dominance that it still has for, in recruiting over the rest of the Big Ten. Yeah, I, I think there's enough that happened last year that made sense while Ohio State lost to Michigan and that it's probably not going to happen again. And so it's more of a blip. And so Ohio State's going to keep recruiting at this level. We'll see if Michigan can pick up any type of momentum or any type of steam because the rest of the country is. And if not, then maybe that, maybe this is a situation where Michigan beat Ohio state and now the gap furthers because Ohio state got its act together and started recruiting at an even higher level while Michigan couldn't sustain what it had. So that's going to wrap up this Buckeye talk uh, reminder. Again, if you're listening to this, maybe later in the week, we're putting this up Wednesday, Friday afternoon, 
Stephen, you will be in Cincinnati at Winton Woods High School for That's the true. commitment of uh, Jermaine Matthews, who we expect to be in Ohio State commitment. Yes, he will be the He's listed as an athlete, but he's going to play cornerback here. He will be the third corner, joining Kay and Lee and Deshaun Johnson in the class. And so, yeah, last week was Ohio State gets offensive commitments from all over the place for wide receivers. This year, this week, it seems to be Ohio State gets a bunch of cornerback commitments from all over the country. And we'll have Doug back on here uh, momentarily. I think he is uh, on his way back to Ohio uh, from from whence he was. I actually don't know where he was. <laughs> he was in Disney <laughs> he, World. <laughs> he did. Uh, oh well, yeah. There you go. Uh, he had done. He did exceptional work. I thought. I know that you were out for a little bit. I was obviously out, and um, he did just fantastic work. He broke like uh, significant news on the beat, as you know, during that stretch. And I really appreciated everything that Doug did. Um, for especially like that first month, I know he had a lot on his shoulders and uh, he stepped up and got it done as we all expected that he would. So um, my personal thanks to Doug, my personal thanks to Steven. And um, I don't know if we're going to have another recruiting pod, uh, certainly this week, but I'm, we're going to keep talking about this throughout the summer. I think there's a lot of topics to keep delving into. So for Steven Means, I'm Nathan Baird, and that was Buckeye Talk.